0: Download the Move app and log in with your Mamma Mia login. Head to move.mamma mia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription.
1: Trump was at the G20 summit in Argentina over the weekend as he faced his most serious legal threat yet from the Russia investigation, which right off the bat has to be weird. Every time Trump goes to one of these international summits, he's under a cloud of suspicion. He's like a guy who goes on a date and tries to ignore the fact that his ankle bracelet is
0: beeping like crazy. Our blockbuster news, the president's former fixer and keeper of secrets, apparently not keeping those secrets anymore. I'm talking about Michael Cohen. He's saying that he was lying to protect the president when he told Congress that negotiations to put a Trump tower in Moscow ended before the Iowa caucuses. He also says he discussed the project with Donald Trump himself and briefed Trump family members working with the Trump organization. That means then-candidate Trump, was trying to do business with Russia in the middle of a campaign that Russia interfered in to help elect him. The president's message sent to 56 million followers, but meant for one person. The judge sentencing Michael Cohen, the president pushing for a full and complete sentence for his former attorney, who, quote, makes up stories to get a great and already reduced deal for himself. Cohen, who's cooperating with the special counsel,
1: wants no prison time at his sentencing next week on multiple charges including 2016 campaign finance violations. Democratic Senator Mark Warner raising a red flag. The President of the United States using his public Twitter account to try to influence witnesses or people who've pled guilty within the Mueller probe. To me, smells pretty fishy.
0: From Mamma Mia, this is Tell Me It's Going to Be Okay, the podcast about politics and pop culture in a post-Trump world. This week, the Mueller investigation is rolling on, uninterrupted by Trump's assurance that his ties to Russia are, and I quote, very legal and very cool. Plus, George H.W. Bush passed away, the 41st president, and we think the way he's being remembered has a lot to do with President 45. Amelia Lester, my friend and co-host, how are you going this week?
1: Did he really say very legal and very cool? He did. I thought everyone was just joking about.
0: That. No, no, no. That's an actual direct quote. He said, "What we did in Russia was very legal." And I do a terrible Trump impersonation. Very cool. That was
1: actually, terrible. Maybe it's the terrible. worst Trump
0: impression I've ever heard. I know. I've never tried to do it before. I feel like his voice is in my head <laughs> enough of the time. I want to start with a Mueller update first. As always, Mueller has been super quiet, but in the last week or so, we've seen a couple of things happen. One is Paul Manafort has been... I don't even know what the correct legal terminology is, but basically he made a plea deal to cooperate And now Mueller's investigation have come out and said, you've been lying to us this whole time or for part of this time, and you have committed crimes by lying and presumably perjuring yourself. And the timing of this is interesting because it came, I've been listening and reading a lot about this this week. That announcement and those charges against Manafort came after Trump had submitted his written answers to Mueller's questions.
1: Say that again. The plea deal came. No. No.
0: So the announcement about the fact that Manafort had been lying to prosecutors with whom he had made a cooperation agreement and that the cooperation agreement was now off the table, that came after Donald Trump had Mm. submitted, Donald Trump lawyers had submitted his written answers to Mueller's questions, so he refi- and that's
1: significant because
0: because is this part of a perjury trap that's been laid for Trump? Mm. And the same with Michael Cohen. See, these two things both happened after Trump had submitted the answers to those questions. That's also when Michael Cohen, this week, Trump's former lawyer, came out and said, "I lied." We were talking about the Trump hotel in Moscow way past the beginning of 2016. We were talking about it until um, just a couple of months before the election.
1: Well, that's delicious, isn't it? The prospect of a perjury trap.
0: The other thing that I read this week, which gave me a lot of cheer, is because, of course, a lot of people, as Trump's becoming more and more unhinged in the last couple of weeks, the walls are closing in on him again. And he's now just pretty much cancelling all his official engagements and just moping around the White House and just tweeting like the crazy person that he is. This idea that Mueller, in case he's fired, in the indictments against all these different people, he's essentially putting all the information he needs to out on the public record. Mm. To protect himself. To protect the investigation. That's brilliant. So that if he then delivers a report and it's either buried or it's he's fired or something happens, he doesn't have to demean himself by leaking or anything. It's actually all out there for people to put the pieces together.
1: Yeah. I mean, basically, we know what the story is. Trump was involved in business dealings, which went as high as Putin. We now know this.
0: Yeah, a $50 million penthouse apartment on the top floor.
1: I mean, am I going crazy or is everything already out there?
0: Well, Trump says this isn't true, funnily enough. He says it's
1: very legal and very cool.
0: He didn't say that part was very legal and very cool, but he says that Cohen is basically just lying to get himself a reduced sentence. And what's interesting about the tweets that he's made at the start of this week is that he's done a couple, one saying that Michael Cohen should get a full and complete sentence and saying that he's done all these things. Not he, I love it when he talks about himself in third person, non-Trump related things like taxis and fraud and money laundering and he should get a full and complete sentence. Now, I don't understand how he can possibly get a fair trial after the President of the United States is tweeting about no that but then his second tweet he said about roger stone who is another former associate who's been accused of potentially leaking to talking to julian assange and leaking to wikileaks he said about him that he is a good guy unlike others he's got guts which he put in quote marks which is weird and because he refuses to lie to Muller's Angry Dems and blah, blah, blah. And Kellyanne Conway's husband, George, what's his name? Conway. 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 <laughs> I was thinking George Soros, but like that's a different story. George Conway then tweeted, let's file this under, and the technical name for witness tampering. Did you see that?
1: I didn't see that. I find the Mueller investigation really complicated and I need you to explain it to me. And you're doing a brilliant job, I have to oh, good, say. Good,
0: good, good. Okay, so Conway is saying that by Trump calling out Roger Stone by name and basically saying don't cooperate with the special counsel, mm. you've got guts for not, that's tampering with a witness and that's actually a crime. Right.
1: You think if Trump wanted to send that message, he could at least (laughs) send it in a DM rather than than just tweeting
0: it out, right? Well, you would expect that he would just pick up the phone and bark it down the phone.
1: No, I mean you and I get that he doesn't want to pick up the phone. You and I wouldn't pick up the phone if we wanted to engage in some witness tampering because we hate talking on the phone. So I respect him for wanting to send the message electronically, but has
0: he heard of DMs? I think, though, he's not just sending the message to Roger Stone. I think he's trying to send that message to lots of people.
1: Yes, that is true. One thing that I love about his tweets, and this is not strictly Mueller related, but the arbitrary capitalization continues. <laughs> and did you see that he had a tweet today in which he mentioned someone going Scott free, but he capitalized Scott and free? Yeah. And then this guy named Scott Free tweeted, leave me out of this. I mean, you got to laugh when you can.
0: (laughs) I laughed so much at that and I didn't understand it. It took me a little while to understand it when you sent me the screenshot and we'll pop it in the Facebook group. But it's very like the absurdity of it. Sometimes you do need to be reminded of the fact that you've basically just got the worst Twitter troll of all time doing nothing that he's meant to do according to his job description and actually just shouting at Fox News and tweeting angrily. Whenever
1: I imagine the Mueller investigation playing out in movie form, it's mm. kind of like Mueller is Jason Bourne. Like he's just so much smarter than everyone else. Yeah. And Trump is just that classic blundering villain with almost like a slapstick element because he's so bad at doing what he does. Yes, Mueller is like Tom Cruise in the first Mission Impossible movie when he is climbing between the lasers. Remember that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. And Trump is like, I don't know, Zach Galifianakis. Dr. Evil. Well, not even that clever. Zach Galifianakis, you know, the guy with a beard from the first Hangover movie. (laughs) Like just the bumbling idiot. Totally.
1: But the reason why I think Trump is like Dr. Evil is because, you know, there's that trope in the Austin Powers movies where – the villain always outlines his diabolical plan in great detail so that then it can be thwarted. That's what Trump does. He goes on Twitter. He confesses to his sins pretty much in plain sight. And because he's doing it so obviously, we all sort of shrug.
0: I wonder who's next. I mean, everyone, what we're all waiting for, of course, is Donald Trump Jr. to be indicted.
1: Me, that's all I want for Christmas. Yeah,
0: I agree. That and the P- tape I'll be happy with. But do you know who else I think has been strangely uncommented on in this past week? Because m- what Michael Cohen said as well in this plea that he made when he said that he was guilty of lying to Congress about Russia and the President's dealings with Russia and the campaign, his own dealings with Russia, is he said, I spoke to members of the president's family about this deal. Now, he didn't say a member. He said members. And everyone said, oh, Donald Trump Jr., of course. The other person who dealt with all of this stuff was Ivanka. Yep. That's what she and Donald Trump Jr. did. They dealt with all of the dodgy... Overseas licensing of the name to build dodgy hotels with dodgy partners in dodgy countries.
1: Did Trump just not trust Eric enough to do anything?
0: (laughs) Poor Eric, where was Eric? But no one's even speculating about that. Why is it just presumed that Ivanka is gonna get out of this Scot Free? Don't bring me into it, it, says Scot Free. (laughs) But everyone is now I always
1: imagine a man named Scot Free in my head. I just
0: why is no one saying maybe Ivanka's going to go down too? No, I think
1: that's fascinating. And another big question that I still have, which no one has asked or answered, is why hasn't Trump shut down the Mueller investigation? Like, I know that he directly can't do it and that he has to empower his AG to do it, but he could do it if he wanted to. And he could have done it.
0: For the same reason that Trump doesn't do 1% of the shit that he threatens to do because he is a gutless coward. We know this. He still hasn't fired John Kelly. Why he didn't fire Reince Priebus He keeps people and keeps people and keeps people. He doesn't like confrontation. He's like any other bully. He doesn't like confrontation. He doesn't like actually doing hard things. He just wants to blow off about it. He is Twitter. That's true.
1: Remember his phone call with Omarosa that she released after she had been fired in which He claimed to not have any knowledge of it and said, oh, that's really too
0: bad. Who
1: did this to you? Who let you go?
0: And his phone call with Bob Woodward. I'm so sorry, Bob. Why didn't you call? I would have loved to talk to you for your book. That's really bad. They didn't pass on the messages. So we know again and again when he's called, he is a gutless coward. He much prefers to bluff and bluster like everybody on Twitter.
1: Yeah, that's true. He definitely would be too scared to have a phone call with Robert Mueller. I would be too scared to have a phone call with Robert Mueller about anything. Just tell me it is going to be okay.
0: So George W.H. No, H.W. Bush. George Bush Sr.
1: I need to just tell you something about this, which I didn't know before I married an American. He's not George Bush Senior, oh. because you only become Senior and Junior when the two have the same middle name. Ah. Oh. So, for instance, my son's name is John. Yeah. And my husband's name is John, but they have different middle names. So my son is not John Junior.
0: So I can't say Bush Senior, except in colloquial terms. It's just easier. Can in we just agree? In colloquial
1: terms, you can say Bush Senior.
0: For the rest of this podcast, can I?
1: I give you permission to.
0: Okay. So Bush Sr. died. Bush Jr. didn't. He did. Yeah.
1: (laughs) These are the facts that we bring the people.
0: That's right. He was 94. And here's a fun fact. When he was 90, he jumped out of a plane, like did a tandem parachute jump at age 90. And it was quite a long time after he'd been in a wheelchair.
1: Did you hear about what his wife, the very witty Barbara Bush, who also died recently, said about that? No. She was standing on the ground with a reporter waiting for him to jump out of this plane. And she dryly remarked, well, at least if he dies, the funeral won't be too far away.
0: Because they were near a church, right? Yeah, oh, Sorry. That's great. I just completely, yeah, you just completely mangled that I'm I'm one.
1: My husband does say that I tell the worst jokes of all time. Yeah, you do. Joke, jokes are hard, that. but you
0: really mangled that one. So, do you want to try again?
1: I would be really bad as a like acerbic wasp um, <laughs> patrician wife. That's true.
0: <laughs> do you want to tell the joke again? Oh, that is the joke.
1: No, I'm comfortable okay. with the way I told it. <laughs>
0: There's been a lot of commentary this week and about the last of the great gentlemen and and a lot of similar commentary to what we had around when John McCain passed away a few months ago. Um, Do you think that that's all a bit just looking at him through rose-coloured glasses or do you think that that is a fair assessment?
1: Let me muse on this for a little bit because there's now this kind of thing that happens on Twitter whenever anyone dies, which is that Some people say, well, that person was no good anyway. And then other people say you shouldn't speak ill of the dead. And as you say, with both McCain and George H.W. Bush, that debate really raged. And this week I saw journalists from all sort of political slants and persuasions having this argument on Twitter about HW's legacy and whether it was correct to call him a gentleman and to say that he was a decent man, he always meant well for America and so on and so on. So on one side we've got historians like John Meacham who's a very respected non-partisan historian who wrote the definitive George HW biography who very adamantly thinks that H.W. always wanted to do the right thing in America. There's a very decent, upstanding man. And he was, as the title of his book suggests, the last gentleman. So that's on one side. On the other side, you've got people who say that actually George H.W. came into office off the back of a really racist political advertisement that kind of went viral if things way back then went viral. Mm. Then proceeded in office to ignore the AIDS crisis, essentially trigger America's longstanding obsession with Saddam Hussein and Iraq, leading to his son's disastrous invasion. Although when his administration went into the Middle East, it was for a much more targeted operation when Iraq invaded Kuwait and it only lasted a few days. But nonetheless, they point to that as the beginning of that decades-long obsession with Iraq, which led to disastrous results in the 2000s. They say that he's been credibly accused of groping by over 10 women. Those are accusations that came out in mm. the last I'd year or so. I'd forgotten about that. There's a lot of women who say that that happened to them. And yeah. Interestingly, the accusations center around inappropriate touching while in his wheelchair. So these women say that in photos and at events, they would be often sort of in a line, in a photo line with George H.W. and his hand would go just a little bit too low or linger just a little bit too long. Yeah. His critics also say that his very sort of patrician upbringing and very sort of American aristocracy background meant that he never really was able to feel much compassion for ordinary americans that he that he sort of practiced politics at this kind of like patrician um, remove from the people. I have to say I find that argument a little bit specious because he actually passed tax cuts that benefited working Americans, which is unbelievable to think about from a Republican these days. And he can't really help his background. I mean, he really did devote his life to public service. He was a celebrated World War II hero. He was a Navy fighter pilot and then was a senator and, and then obviously was president. I just don't think you can hold him responsible for his background But that's basically the two sides in a nutshell. He also wasn't a very successful president. Everyone basically agrees on that. I mean, he only served one term. He was beaten quite conclusively by Bill Clinton in 1992. And a lot of people do say that the only reason why we're so kind of celebratory about him these days is because it's in comparison with his son, whose presidency was epically disastrous.
0: I thought it was more that it's in comparison with Trump because I feel like that has become the yardstick, tragically. The yardstick is now a president who is so grotesque, uncouth, cruel, malevolent, that it's a little bit like what it's reminded me of this week is how people talk about John Howard these days and there's a Mm. real, not deification of John Howard, but a real affection for John Howard that for those of us who lived through his term, which was very long, particularly at the end, I mean, he was so unpopular he lost his own seat. That never happens to a woman who'd never been in politics before, Maxine McHugh. And I think often when people look back at John Howard, they talk about what he did after Port Arthur and with gun reform, which was amazing. But he also did some terrible things like allow the rise of Pauline Hanson and that sort of horrible nationalistic racism and One Nation to rise. He was the first Prime Minister to really demonise refugees for political gain. But in comparison to the ridiculous situation we've had in Canberra over the last six, eight years with 800 prime ministers and just this ridiculous thing, we look back and say, wow, we had the same guy at the helm for 12 years or however long it was, and didn't that seem like a kinder, gentler, better time?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting analogy. It's almost like dominoes, like George W made George HW look good Mm. and then Trump made George W look good, which is – yes an achievement. Although there are people, Sam Tannenhaus wrote a great essay in New York magazine actually last year, which has been resurfaced in the, in the wake of George HW's death, in which he makes the point that as bad as Trump is, at least he hasn't yet knock on wood, led the U S into a disastrous war, which is what George W did. So, I guess there's always a silver lining. Is that a silver lining or is that just a very glass half empty view of the world? Not sure.
0: Look, I do think it's worth noting that I agree it's all about standards. Like I look back at George W., who I was horrified by at the time, and think he might have been a bumbling idiot, and he was, but in comparison to the cruel, nasty, criminal bumbling idiot we've got, it's miles apart.
1: Well, apparently George W. Bush in office knew that he didn't know a lot, so he read 14 books on Lincoln. And as Maureen Dow pointed out in a column this week, can you imagine Trump reading 14 books on anything, let alone history? I remember George W. used to release his summer reading list because that used to be a presidential tradition. And one year he said his favorite book was Camus The Outsider. I just can't imagine Trump getting into his French existential literature, or let alone releasing a summer reading list. I see both sides of it though, because the other thing is that George W. has embarked on this kind of conscious rehabilitation campaign in that he's now painting wounded warriors that is soldiers who lost limbs in the two wars that he sent them to one of which was certainly unnecessary and the other afghanistan was badly bungled so that's real two wars both of which were disasters is real no matter how many paintings he does afterwards
0: yeah and what what's this uh president going to have as his legacy a shit ton of tweets and uh the demonization of scot free
1: he'll have a very very legal <laughs> and very cool legacy that's for sure
0: all right next week you are going to be in the studio aren't you you're going to be here in the flesh it's, i'm excited it's going to be like our closing ceremony kind of it will we won't be saying goodbye we'll just be saying see you later lots of love i'll talk to you next week see you in person As you may have heard last week, Amelia and I are wrapping up this podcast indefinitely at the end of the year. Don't unsubscribe. We might very well pop back into your feed if and when exciting things occur. I'm thinking impeachment, jail. Jail would be good. If you are looking for a weekly podcast to replace this one, though, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast we are launching just as this one is taking a hiatus. We are bringing back the Mamma Mia Book Club for eight weeks over the Christmas break. Mamma Mia Out Loud co-host Jessie Stevens will be unpacking one of the most popular books of the year with a special guest. From Liane Moriarty's Nine Perfect Strangers to Melissa Broder's The Pisces, it's about fish sex, come and listen in to Book Club On Demand. It is so great. Who has time to go to an actual book club? This way, the book club comes to you. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link in the episode description. Tell Me It's Gonna Be Okay is brought to you by Mamma Mia and the producer, as always, always is Luca Levine. Bye!